Thank you, everybody, for joining us on another podcast. Uh, my name is Gabriel Jaramillo. I'm the Director of Healthy Communities with the Vitalist Health Foundation. I get the opportunity to work in various housing aspects about the state of Arizona through the work we do around the social determinants of health. Today, we get to talk about manufactured housing and how Arizona is addressing manufactured housing as a sustainable and affordable source of housing for the state. I'm happy to hand it over to Sarah to introduce herself. Thanks, Gabe. My name is Sarah Ligori. I am the Director of Impact Investing at the Arizona Community Foundation and also overseeing our initiatives in the housing and homelessness space. And I'll pass it off to Cindy, who's become a partner in this work as well. Hi, thank you, Sarah. I'm Cindy Stotler. I'm the Housing Director for the Phoenix IDA. I am primarily charged with enhancing and increasing the Phoenix IDA's participation in affordable housing across the state of Arizona. And we partner very closely with the city of Phoenix because we're the Phoenix IDA. And we got involved with the three mobile home parks that were bought and the residents were getting evicted. So that's how we got into this conversation. Hello. Thank you very much, Gabe, Cindy, and Sarah. I'm Paul Bradley. I'm the president of ROC USA. That's R-O-C USA. And that stands for Resident-Owned Communities. We help homeowners in mobile home parks buy their communities as co-ops and are doing so in 21 states across the country at present. Thank you all for joining us. Like I said, I have the pleasure of working with Cindy, Sarah, and Paul. We recently got together on an event to discuss the state of manufactured housing. Sarah, would you mind telling us a little more about that event and and how you felt it went? Yeah. So I'll give you some background to the lead up of the event, because I think it shows the sheer power of the solution building and the collaboration between our organizations on this topic. I met Paul via way of Michael Trailer, who was working on the Periwinkle mobile home parks closures. And that conversation with Mike led to this conversation in collaboration with Shelly Marquez of Mercy Housing as well, of just who's doing what in this space and where can we find larger, more systemic solutions to alleviate the displacement of families from mobile home parks as we saw three closures at the same time in various parts of Phoenix. As these conversations started to come together, we met Paul, learned more about what Rock USA was doing, and then we're able to pull together Vitalist, the Phoenix IDA, Raza, Rock, and then Lincoln Institute of Land Policy together to say, we need to put on a symposium of sorts so that we can raise awareness, not just to the problems, but also to some of the solutions. So that was really the planning ground for what became our event, which was preserving and producing manufactured home communities. And this was looking at what market and public policy-based solutions are out there. And so we had a four and a half hour discussion, about 75 in attendance from around the state community members, mobile home park members, government officials, elected officials, community advocates all came together to learn about problems, the specifics to the mobile home parks that were closed. We had an opportunity to learn from people who were also present at that meeting, whose lives you know, were displaced and what their storytelling was and their experience that process. But it was really a great opportunity for leaders in the housing and the manufactured housing sector to come together and, and share and discuss. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, it was an absolutely amazing event. Well, a lot of interest in Rock USA's model. It's not something that we normally see here in Arizona. Paul, would you mind telling us a little bit more about Rock USA's model and how that conversation went and how you felt it was received here in Arizona? I was really impressed with the audience that came to the 
Arizona Community Foundation that day. People are very invested in figuring out how to preserve and improve these communities. This is a population of homeowners that have largely been overlooked in affordable housing, but they're vital. These are really important high-density neighborhoods of modest-sized homes, and people are vulnerable. When you don't own the land under your home, as you saw in those three community closures, and there have been others in Arizona, folks are displaced, home and all, and there's very few places to relocate to if the home is relocatable. So the motivation was very high. Our work with homeowners actually started 40 years ago in uh, the state of New Hampshire. The nonprofit New Hampshire Community Loan Fund helped the first residential community in the state acquire their 13-home community. Mom and pop owners, actually elderly community owners, that really wanted the homeowners to be safe and secure. And the homeowners just but couldn't buy it as individuals, so they formed a co-op. And the new nonprofit Community Loan Fund financed that for them. And the Sisters of Mercy provided the $38,000 loan that the loan fund then provided to the Merida Center Cooperative. So that's how it all started. That ownership model has scaled pretty substantially in New Hampshire. There are now 148 co-ops here in New Hampshire. That's about uh, 35% market share. And that led us to 15 years ago, found Rock USA to begin practicing, developing limited equity resident communities in other states. And as I said, we're in 21 states today with just over 300 co-ops and about 22,000 homeowners. And remarkably, these cooperative communities have been incredibly resilient. Homeowners cherish what they've got after they gain ownership. And so not one of them has ever resold back to the private market. None have faced foreclosure or bankruptcy. Not that that won't happen at some point when you have over 300 co-ops, but they've been incredibly resilient. The only thing Rock USA does is help them purchase their communities and then provide ongoing training, technical assistance, and policy support. So we're excited to be looking at opportunities in Arizona. There's plenty of them. Thank you, Paul. It is exciting to, uh, to be able to explore those types of options for Arizona. I know we have large concentration of manufactured homes and manufactured home parks throughout the greater Phoenix area, the metro area. So I really appreciate it. I thought the conversation was really received and there was a lot of questions and I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Cindy, I know you had mentioned your, the, the Phoenix IDA's involvement with the manufactured housing complexes here in Phoenix. So if you wouldn't mind touching a little bit on how you thought the event went and then specifically talk about your the IDA's involvement and then carry on how you see manufactured housing moving forward with the idea or Phoenix. We thought the event went very well. The attendance was much larger than we had anticipated, and that was exciting to see. Because as Paul had said, mobile home parks had been a largely overlooked aspect of affordable housing. In the industry, we focus on low-income housing tax credit properties and things like that and don't really think about mobile home parks until last year uh, when we had suddenly three parks that were bought and were closing and the residents were being evicted. And I think that brought the, the whole situation to the forefront and the media was on it. The city of Phoenix was tasked with trying to help those residents, especially of the two parks that we started with. They contracted with us to assist those residents. And it was the first experience with 
most of the folks in the Phoenix IDA and the service coordinators from Helping Families in Need. They're a great organization, usually have done healthcare connections and things like that, casework. And we brought them in to help these families who are getting evicted. And I think it opened everyone's eyes as to who is really living in a mobile home park and what that uh, affords them in regard to their living situation and their ability to provide for their families, run their small business, send their kids to college and things like that. These, we found that most of these folks were working. They were essential workers, they're service workers. They were able to raise their families in a really comfortable environment. These parks were close environments. Everyone knew their neighbors and supported each other and it, and it felt safe. And many of them lived in their communities for decades. Some of them had lived in their generational trailers and it's passed down through generations. So it was very upsetting to be evicted and not have anywhere to go. So that was an experience for all of us. We did end up, because it was an emergency and we didn't have much time, we ended up putting most of them on Section 8 vouchers and in apartments and were able to do that with most of the residents. Some of them were fortunate enough to buy a home through the city. We worked in partnership with the city of Phoenix and they had some homes for sale through one of their programs. And then others were able to find or move their part or their mobile home if they were able to or find another part to live in. But many of them went on Section 8 and, and they weren't happy about that. They weren't happy about having to be on government assistance and they really wanted to own their own home again. So that kind of challenged us at the Phoenix IDA to start thinking about manufactured housing subdivisions, manufactured housing parks, other options for these folks to live in that were more what Paul was talking about, a long-term safe option for them that would not be sold out from under them. So we've been talking to ROC as well and also looking at other options for permanent housing that is affordable for this income level. I'll just note from a national perspective, hats off to the city of Phoenix and to the nonprofits that stepped up and the stories at the symposium were phenomenal, incredibly moving. But that level of support for homeowners being displaced is really not something we see in other parts of the country. So hats off to Arizona leaders for really stepping up and supporting these communities. I agree, Paul. I think we were very lucky that the city of Phoenix made the effort to step up and support, but we were also lucky that there were federal funding left over from ARPA and the pandemic that was available to put towards this effort. And that might not happen in the future, which is why we're looking at other solutions. Speaking of other solutions, and this is where I'll open it up to the group here. When we talked a lot about other solutions and how manufactured housing can play a role, Cindy, like you were saying, these have been homeowners that have been there for decades, if not generations, and had been self-sufficient in their homes. As far as other methods and, and other ways manufactured housing plays on the broader housing spectrum and Sarah working for the Community Foundation, Cindy for the IDA, Paul, I know you, you said you had funding from the Sisters of Mercy. How do you see your organizations playing a role in this? And how do you see manufacturers playing a broader role in housing throughout the state? So the Phoenix IDA, again, our eyes were open to this population and this, these essential workers that really need a place to live independently and be self-sufficient. We're just starting to look at the options out there. Obviously, the resident-owned community option is one, and we'll continue to work with Paul and that group um, to see if we can make that happen in Arizona. But other options we're also considering. The city of Phoenix just altered their zoning ordinance for mobile home parks where they can expand now and they're not limited to certain size. So we're looking into that to see if maybe the creation of new mobile home parks is an option, maybe with a community land trust on the property rather than an owner that could sell later on. So that's one option. Another option is new subdivisions of manufactured homes. 
smaller and more affordable manufactured homes that meet the same price level that folks in mobile home parks are facing right now and can afford. We just enhanced our home in five mortgage program and down payment assistance program. And now we can lend on manufactured homes through an FHA or VA loan. So now we can participate in lending for manufactured housing, which is a big deal for us. And it's a great expansion of our home and five program. So again, trying to find more home ownership opportunities for folks who have already, who are used to owning their own home and, and being independent and having the space parking and everything available, again, to be successful running their own business, to have room for their families and kids to play and things like that. We're really just, 2024 is going to be a time for us to explore what other housing can we put into place that kind of matches this type of living circumstance for these folks and that they can afford and continue living independently and self-sufficiently. That's amazing, Cindy. I'm, I'm really excited to hear that there's an opportunity through the IDA. I know as we talk about, and you had mentioned the expansion of the technical amendment codes to the zoning ordinances within the city of Phoenix. We've seen other cities look at adopting similar ordinances, expanding the reach of manufactured housing and changing their current limitations to allow them to be put in other communities and other densities areas and smaller manufactured homes. But the lending mechanisms available for those are extremely limited. So I'm extremely happy to hear that the IDA is working on and has created additional lending mechanisms for that, lending products for that. We know Community Reinvestment Act funding has been used for that in some limited capacity. But as we see the impact that manufactured housing has on affordability, the financing aspect and the funding mechanisms are going to have to keep up with that to make it truly attainable and reachable for a broader audience. Sarah, I know you, you. there's funding availability through some lending. Has the Arizona Community Foundation explored partnerships with that? Or how do you see the Arizona Community Foundation helping promote or furthering along manufactured housing expansion? Yeah, I think that the Community Foundation and our partnership on the Periwinkle Project showed the, the big appetite for the care we have in the community to quickly pivot raise funds and understand the needs of the residents that were being you know, actively displaced and, and going through that process. In the grand scheme of things, we also understand though that to Cindy's point, there's hundreds and hundreds of mobile home communities. There's no way we could individually fundraise for each of them. So how can we have more of a systemic approach and, and long-term approach? And that's where we connected with Paul to be more proactive on the solution side. If we're looking at Arizona, 10% of our housing stock is manufactured housing, roughly 300,000 units. How do we protect them? And then how do we help produce them. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity in both of those avenues on the preservation side to create more communities, which I'll let Paul go into as the leader there for the co-op model, but having that ownership that the members of the resident and the residents there would enjoy. So we're looking at preservation and the production side of how do we help produce? We loan to nonprofit affordable housing developers to produce low-income or affordable projects. Could we expand that? Something we're exploring. I know that at the national level, Congress has passed money, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars for mobile home park preservation and replacement. And I think that HUD is now looking at CDBG programs for homeownership assistance. There's a lot of eyes and ears to this. I think the other role that the Community Foundation can play that we're happy to play is collaborator with all of the, the great organizations focused on this issue 
raising awareness to it, uplifting the storytelling outside of even the funding that we might be able to do, but just making sure that we can tie our affordability crisis in Arizona and say, here is a real opportunity to protect people that already live in these communities. And also, can we look at ways to expand and create more of these communities? We can create them in more environmentally friendly ways. This is a type of product that can get out quicker to the community. It doesn't take the 18 months it might make to build a a development or a site built housing. So we could deploy this type of, of housing quickly. So we're happy to help uplift all solutions and organizations focused on bringing more of this to the housing stock that we greatly need. Understanding that Arizona has seen a a huge devastating increase in our unsheltered population and how that is directly correlated to the affordability and and lack of supply of housing that we have. We really feel like this could be a great solution and already is for people's lives. Thank you, Sarah. Appreciate it. And Paul, you have the the lens of the national perspective. What what have you seen work on the national level for uh, communities that have been able to scale up or I guess take full advantage of the manufactured housing and the opportunities that it brings with affordability. What, what have you seen on the national level? Significant increase in understanding of the importance of manufactured housing and the vulnerability of owning a home on rented land. There's been a significant increase in lot rents and the prices of mobile home parks as commercial assets. And that's being driven by just a huge influx of private equity coming into the business. So there's a real risk. Communities, when they sell, being sold to an aggressive investor. And I should note, there are a lot of community owners that are providing good value, good, safe, and secure housing. And thank goodness for that, because as Sarah noted, this is a substantial housing stock. But the risk when the property sells is significant to the homeowners. So our goal is when a property is for sale to be there, one, to persuade the community owner to provide the homeowners an opportunity to purchase it. And many local owners especially are very open to that. And B, then assemble the capital so that the homeowners can afford to buy the community. And we're doing both those things in an early stage in Arizona today. So we are turning our attention to the market in Arizona in terms of looking for opportunities. And we're also talking to funders and affordable housing lenders and impact investors to put together the resources so that homeowners can purchase their communities. And we're excited to be doing more for sure in Arizona. I'm glad to hear that. This is definitely getting more traction on a nationwide level. I know we're seeing some changes here, not only at the local level, but discussions on the state level as well when it comes to policy and addressing affordability through a variety of housing types. So when we talk about manufactured as a one of those options, Cindy mentioned the city of Phoenix, and we've had those conversations, Vitalist has had those conversations with various municipal partners to try to address the affordability aspect by diversifying the type of housing, which but talks about zoning and technical ordinances. But like I said, that conversation has been elevated to the state level. And we've had several state representatives at the legislature talk about zoning and the importance of being able to address housing through a variety of different policy changes. I'll open that up. Let's discuss some of the policy changes that we've seen or some of the the proposed policy changes or what we feel would need to change to make uh, manufactured housing a better option, a a more readily available option through policy. What have you seen, Sarah, Cindy, here locally? And then, Paul, 
some of the changes that you've seen on the national level that have, have produced more availability. So we'll start local here. I think Cindy touched on what the city of Phoenix was looking at proposed and approved. I want to say with good optimism that the cities are very in tune to these to these issues. And just like we saw ADUs come through Tucson, now in Phoenix, maybe they will be expanding to other cities. And I'm hoping that the mobile home parks might be similarly as well. So as cities look at what are each of us doing in response to our housing crisis, that they'll be able to implement some of the same positive policies there as well. On the state side, I'll just throw out at least one of the ones I know that has been talked about here that I hope would be one. It was just the the first right of refusal. And I think that, you know, Paul might be able to go into that one or, or Cindy at greater length, but just giving tenants more time, more due process, more notice, knowing and making them aware that their community is listed for sale, their community is being marketed and giving them the opportunity so that they might be able to purchase it might be able to work with someone like Paul and Rock USA to turn it into a co-op and, and maintain that ownership. So I know that, that first right of refusal could be a very small but powerful tool to at least give them more time and more opportunity to maintain the control of the homes and the communities that they're in. Anything else you might add from that, Cindy? That first right of refusal is key in Arizona, as you know, we're seeing, especially in the large metropolitan areas like Phoenix, land is going for higher than appraised value. I mean, there's, there are bidding wars and things like that. And many of these parks are located in premium areas close to transportation, school districts, and employment where it's, it's ripe for redevelopment. But it's not just a, a metropolitan urban area problem. I was on the state housing supply committee about a year ago when we went around across the state. Several legislators ran that committee, and we heard from all of the rural communities as well as the urban communities in the state. And statewide housing is an issue and statewide they're looking at manufactured housing as one of the solutions. And so that was of great interest for the legislators to see how they could help with promoting greater density for greater number of units in subdivisions and things like that. Typically, Arizona builds in large single family subdivisions with limited density and, and we need to change that culture in order to accommodate all the people that are moving here and all the people that need housing. So it, it was a very great topic of conversation, and I'm, I'm hopeful that conversation will continue. And again, as you said, the cities will pick up on it as well, because almost everyone was interested in manufactured housing as a solution for many of their working residents, especially, but also many of the retirees and other people that are on a fixed income and things. It's just a very good, affordable, quality lifestyle for many of our residents. It's definitely top of mind as far as policy. And I know Sarah and Cindy have been part of local conversations, specifically talking about the 2024 legislative session, how what's going to be coming up. And we've seen, we've specifically asked how manufactured housing is going to play a role in housing legislation for the upcoming legislative sessions. We know it's still going to be a part of the conversation. We know it's still being brought up to address affordability on the statewide level. Paul, what have you seen at the national level in other states pertaining to manufactured housing and how it's benefited or worked and what hasn't worked? What have you seen at the national level? I'll just note at a national level, manufactured housing is having a policy moment. The Biden administration included manufactured housing and zoning for manufactured home communities in its affordable housing plan. FHA is revamping FHA Title I, which is the personal property uh, loan program out of FHA. The 
Congress has passed in 2022 the Price Initiative, named after Congressman Price, who retired from North Carolina last session. This is the first federal investment in preserving and creating resilient manufactured home communities. I'll note that resident-owned communities play a prominent part in that, and there's active legislation here in 23 to continue that uh, program. And HUD just announced CDBG rules changes for improving weatherization and, and improvement resources for manufactured housing. So we're seeing some significant interest at the federal level you know, now that people are beginning to be focused on manufactured housing. At a state level across the country, Roth USA is very market focused. So we're really focused on how do we help homeowners purchase and, and then own and operate their communities. And in that way, certainly right of first refusal helps homeowners get notice and have an opportunity to compete for that property. That's terrific. At the end of the day, though, it takes making sure they have the economic resources to belly up to the bar and, uh, and acquire that property. So we're very focused there. I will say there was a conversation at the symposium about community closures. And Cindy, you noted that there's a lot of properties in Phoenix, Maricopa County generally probably that are at risk. And some of those are very small properties and some of those are at the end of their economic life without a significant investment. And so then the question is, what resources or what policy supports those homeowners? It could be in extending the notice to quit in terms of community closures, giving people more time. It could be changing the formula so that people are paid more for their homes when they are displaced, creating a, a resource that they can tap to go on in their lives. And every time you do that, if you put that onus on the property owner, you are changing the economics of community closure. And it may stem the tide on community closures, which those are the worst phone calls I get. Homeowners that have gotten a notice, their community is being closed, and they desperately want to buy it. But at that point, honestly, in, in all but one case in my 30-year career, it's too late, and it's very difficult to pull a community back from closure notice. Focusing in on that closure issue, because it, it will happen again, and as Cindy noted, the city may not be in a position to help as much as they did these with these first three, um, but there will be more homeowners following them, I'm afraid. I want to make sure that we give credit here in Arizona. I know uh, the last legislative session, there was a legislation that passed giving additional funding for those notices. So that was something that Arizona passed last year because it became such a prominent issue, specifically with the manufactured housing developments or the parks in Phoenix and the just the struggles that they went through that Cindy highlighted earlier. So I want to make sure we give credit there. And it just reminded me of that. So I'm glad to hear that Arizona is at least on that track to address that, some of the relocation, but still having the opportunity to purchase the park is completely different. So I'm glad to hear it. How do you see manufactured housing playing a role throughout the state? What do you see the most important aspect of manufactured housing for the state of Arizona in addressing affordability? Cindy, we'll start with you. I see manufactured housing as a very, it's a quick occupancy. Like you said, it's very quick to build, quick to place, quick occupancy, affordable housing solution. We've always been single family home oriented here in Arizona and manufactured housing is a single family home is consistent with our tradition of single family homes, but we need to look at greater density. We need to look at options. 
you can have all kinds of options with manufactured housing. You can even build modular multifamily housing out of manufactured pods and things like that. So we're looking at actually all kinds of manufactured solutions to building housing quickly and more cost-effectively. But I do think that we need to get some subdivisions out there. I'm trying to work with some local developers and get even some small, new manufactured home subdivisions out there so people can see it. Because I think once they see it and they see that these homes look like all the other stick-built homes in the surrounding community, that they will accept them more and that maybe we can push for more acceptance statewide and more density allowances by the city to just build more of these and provide that home ownership, that long-term stability option for people at a service level income and a workforce income. Paul, what are your thoughts on the importance of manufactured housing? I've dedicated my entire career to standing shoulder to shoulder with these homeowners. There are roughly 3 million U.S. homeowners, primarily low income and very low income, that live in one of 50,000 mobile home parks in the country. And they have very limited opportunities uh, to gain control of that land outside of Rock USA and our affiliate organizations. We've got to do everything we possibly can to make land ownership possible for this group of homeowners against great odds, against great challenges, but with a growing group of, of friends and partners across the country. And that's what keeps me optimistic because it's programs like this, Gabe, and they the symposium at the foundation that are raising the profile of these homeowners and their basic needs. That keeps me optimistic. Thank you. Great. Appreciate it. Sarah? I'm going to add to that optimism here from from an Arizona view lens too, where I think that we just need to, I feel like we may have taken manufactured communities and mobile home parks for granted. One of the things that we've learned during the symposium from a national perspective was Arizona has the highest stock of manufactured housing in the country. It is already a type of housing that large number of Arizonans live in right now. And so how can we, I live in the center of Phoenix. And so when I drive around now, I'm very cognizant in noticing mobile home parks and manufactured home communities. I drive around the state, even into our tribal areas. And once you just start to notice it, you realize there is a lot of manufactured communities that already exist here and that people have called this home for a very long time. My optimism comes from, we do have a crisis in affordable housing. We do have a very large deficit in our supply of housing right now, but here we are with this type of housing that Arizonans already love and call home. And we're now at a place where technology, and we have a number of companies that are starting in Arizona on the production side and really deploying really creative new ways to look at manufactured housing, where I feel like we could make big inroads here in a very easy way if we all get on the same page and kind of work towards these solutions. We have a lot of the variables at play. We just need to be able to support, uplift them, and then deploy them. And we could essentially get a lot of new housing online relatively quickly within the next year if we look at manufactured housing as that solution in the space, which I think it can be. And then if we keep pushing the city and the state and maybe coordinated funding to Paul side of having some strategy involved of maybe we raise funds that are specific to a co-op model versus individual funds that go out to a number of mobile home park communities. So I think there's a lot of momentum here in Arizona and there's a lot of opportunity here from the wide breadth of ideas we've discussed and advocates that are working in this space. 
I have to echo the optimism here. I completely agree, and I'm glad we touched base on the impact that technology plays in this field and the idea of being able to take advantage of not only the technological advances, but the opportunities for sustainability and the rapid deployment of housing that brings a, an affordability level that we currently don't have in the sustainable fashion. I, I completely echo that optimism. And as we see that conversation be elevated to policy, Sarah, like you had mentioned, we're seeing not only cities, but the counties and state talk about the importance of being able to provide space for type of housing in a variety of densities and how cities address their technical codes and, and zoning to allow that. But I agree. I'm absolutely optimistic about it. Uh, we want to keep this conversation going. Paul, for everybody listening, how can somebody find out more about Rock USA? Great. We'd love to have people get in touch www.rocusa.org is our website, rocusa.org. And there's a contact us uh, form there. So please fill it out. It'll get channeled to the right person and we'll get right back to you. So thanks, everybody. Well, Sarah, how about you? How could we find out more about what ACF is doing? Gabe, with you and with the IDA, we're working on a lot of different collaborations. Our website is acfoundation.org to the manufactured housing and we have a lot of upcoming events and so all that information can be found on our website or reaching out to me individually but for this topic and others in the housing space that we're all working on together i think we'll have to find a good platform to just send everyone to so they don't have to go searching but our website is great and i'd love to continue on this conversation on the event side and the collaboration side and cindy how about you how could we reach the idea Website, phoenixida.com. There's a lot of information on our website and contact information for all of us. Thank you all again. Really appreciate your insight, your expertise, and your uh, emphasis for manufactured housing and how we can uh, continue to spread the message about it. I really appreciate you joining us today and thank you again. Thank you to Gabe and Vitalis for continuing to promote this conversation down the line. Yeah, Pleasure. thanks, Gabe, for putting this together. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everybody.